Local artists put big pressure on us and reminding us that we're going on an island with an incredible ecosystem with fantastic flora and fauna. And this made us really aware of this unique context. And somehow I trust artists and I trust art to keep us on the right path. Kate Brown, and this is The Art Angle, a podcast from Artnet News, where the art world meets the real world, bringing each week's biggest story down to earth. Some of the most impactful stories to surface this past year have revolved around three major issues affecting the world as a whole. There's a worsening climate emergency, a global health crisis, and, in the fold, an acceleration of technology that's increasingly entangling itself into every aspect of our lives. When it comes to the art world, we can probably agree it's high time to ask some tough questions. Should there be so many art events? How should we gather safely and sustainably? And do we need to experience art in person to truly understand it? Among those art events that managed to pull off successful ventures in a year and a half like no other is the first edition of the Helsinki Biennial, which took up these pressing concerns. Taking place on an overgrown island in Finland, the show, called The Same Sea, meets our collective moment, exploring our interconnectedness with one another and nature. But those are not just themes. The Biennial is actually calculating and cutting its carbon footprint wherever possible, with an ambitious goal in mind, to become the first ever carbon-neutral exhibition of its kind by 2035. To reach a wider audience when travel is both restricted and carbon-intensive, its organizers have partnered with Facebook Open Arts to connect remote audiences with the artworks peppered around the wild nature of Alasari Island. I'm pleased to be joined by Maya Taninen Matala, director of the forward-thinking Helsinki Biennial and the Helsinki Art Museum, and Tina Vaz, head of Facebook Open Arts, to learn more about the process of greening a biennial and how technology can be used to bring us closer to nature in meaningful ways. So thanks so much for joining us on The Art Angle, Maya and Tina. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So Maya, I just summed up the Helsinki Biennial in a few words right now, but you've of course been deeply involved with this newly inaugurated art event from its inception. So can you give us a rundown of the exhibition, its aims and its themes? The title of the first exhibition is The Same Sea. We've only got one sea on the planet and it surrounds and connects us. And every action and being is interconnected. And this metaphor, The Same Sea, is a metaphor for mutual dependency. And all these themes and perspectives are very much present on the island of Vallisari during the inaugural edition of the Helsinki Biennial. Vallisari is a very, very special place. Helsinki has an archipelago of 328 islands, which is a fantastic amount. They've been closed to the public because they've been, most of them, in military use. And now the archipelago is opening up to locals and travelers alike. And the city very much wants to see people use the islands for different reasons, for recreation and for getting to know the history and the wildlife of these islands. The biennial is a part of the Helsinki city's strategy, and it's also a part of the maritime strategy of the city. And this opening up of the archipelago is a way of, uh, you can really say opening up uh, a new neighborhood of Helsinki for people to enjoy. 
Wonderful. And could you shortly expand on like the sort of topics of the exhibition itself just shortly? The topics of the exhibition are, of course, interconnected with the theme of the same sea. Empathy, mutual dependency, and of course, sustainability in many different ways is very much present in the works that are displayed on the island, but also in the way we're doing things on the island and in many other ways. Wonderful. And I mean, you also got a biennial off the ground against all odds. It's been a couple of years (laughs) unlike any other. And, you know, in normal times, of course, there's about 270 biennials taking place around the world. And that's a figure that does not even include other art fairs and other art events and performances. And Maya, in your opinion, do you think that there are too many events for the art world to be sustainable since sustainability is such an important part of this exhibition? Actually, I'm not at all concerned about the proliferation of biannuals. On the contrary, I think the biannual is a wonderful format. It's nimble. It's an event that can always reinvent itself. There are no biannuals that are exactly the same in the world, even though there are many of them. And I see the future of the Helsinki biannual as very, very positive in the sense that we can do things differently every time. And when you think of sustainability, I think that the biannual can really do things differently in a sustainable way, very much easier than museums, for example, can and big institutions and organizations. We're tied down to a lot of uh, rules and regulations that are part of the museum world and the way museums act globally. But uh, a biannual can set standards for itself and goals for itself in a different way. And it's been wonderful to do the first inaugural biannual, taking into consideration such things as sustainability, because uh, it's made us all very much aware of doing things differently and trying to incorporate these new practices into the work that we do here in the museum. Right. And of course, you wrote a fascinating op-ed for us in the spring in which you outlined a bit more about how the biennial was undertaking this mission of making itself sustainable. You talked about all kinds of different tools that are available to track carbon output. Can you explain a bit what kind of work the biennial did that really set it apart from any other biennial before it? I think that one very important thing we did is hire an eco-coordinator. She's been working with us all these years, and we have used the eco-compass, which is a tool developed by the Finnish Association for Nature Conservation, and it has 10 environmental criteria that we must comply with to get this eco-compass certificate, which we did in the end just recently. And um, it's been a good way of monitoring our actions from different points of view. One, of course, is in a very important aspect is our carbon footprint, which we've been very aware of. And I'm not saying that we've done everything right, but we've tried very hard and we've become aware of things that we can do differently. And by monitoring, I think we'll be so much wiser the next time round when we start to plan for the next biannual. In addition to the EcoCompass tool, we've done things differently. Making the islands accessible digitally is one very important thing for those people who can't travel to Helsinki, and especially this year. They've been able to join in 
in different digital ways. One thing that surprised us very much was that the island next door to Balisari, the island that we're on, has a map that they print out for their visitors. And this has turned out to be the biggest source of garbage on the island. So we immediately, when we heard about this, we decided that we will not do printouts The things we have printed will be sold. People don't usually throw away things they've paid for. We're doing the maps and the information digitally. You can access the background of the works on your mobile phone. So all these small things, minimizing transport of works from overseas was one way, cutting waste of building materials for exhibitions, using Skype rather than travel to communicate with international artists and partners. Of course, all these things, they sound small actions, but when you put them together, they have an impact. And this is something that we'll be really interested in looking into the information that we're getting through the Eco Compass when the event is over and really seeing what kind of a carbon footprint we left this time and how can we make it smaller the next time. And I'm sure that the partnership with Facebook Open Arts is helping with the digital outreach that you've been able to have in lowering your climate impact. And I want to ask Tina about that in a moment's time. But first, for those who may be hearing about Facebook Open Arts for the first time, could you explain what kind of work the company's art division focuses on? Facebook Open Arts has been around for about 10 years in various forms, and we empower creative communities. We do this by programming art for Facebook spaces, products, and experiences, by which I mean we work with artists to commission site-specific artworks for Facebook offices around the world. We've worked with about 900 artists over the past 10 years. Particularly in the last year during COVID, we have pivoted much of our work digitally and are commissioning artists for work in product. We also organize creative experiences for Facebook employees to engage in any number of creative practices. And finally, we partner with external collaborators such as the Helsinki Biennial to bring that mission outside of Facebook's walls. Wonderful. And so can you tell me a bit about the partnership that you've undertaken together? Well, I had occasion to be in Helsinki in August 2019, which was shortly after I started at Facebook. And so I think I got a really early preview of what was planned for the Helsinki Biennial and Maya took me on a tour of the island at that time, and we had a beautiful picnic lunch. And at the time, it was really conceptual. The island itself was in the process of being prepared, really, to host this event, but it was very early days. But I really believed very strongly in the concept and the opportunity to be part of a first-of-its-kind biennial. That's something that really aligned with our objectives and really this idea of pushing forward what could be a new model for the art community. So I was really excited to be part of it from the beginning. We obviously went through many twists and turns. We had an entirely different program imagined from the Facebook side when we thought that the biennial would be presented in person as it was originally planned. And we went through a number of different iterations. But finally, where we ended up was, I think, 
a great example of how the world has sort of changed and how resilient we've all become over the past couple of years. On the Facebook side, we had to change our plans many times, not to mention all of the changes that Maya and her team went through. But I think where we ended up was in a really good place. And I'm only sorry that I couldn't be there to see it in person. Yeah, I wish I would have been able to make it as well, but it's been wonderful to follow it online. You know, speaking about new models, as you say, I'm curious how Facebook is considering sustainability in its own program and structure more generally. Like as a technology company, how do you play a positive role in the cultural sphere with this? Sure. Well, I think, you know, at the company level, Facebook has set itself very ambitious sustainability goals as it relates to the open arts program specifically. You know, I mentioned that we've worked with 900 visual artists around the world on site-specific commissions. And generally, we work with artists who are local or proximate to the locations where our offices are located. That's one way of, A, being a good community member and engaging directly with the local creative community, but also, B, to limit travel and the kinds of resource-intensive activities if we were flying artists from all over the world. So that's one piece of it. Obviously, we use sustainable materials in our installations. But on a more macro level, Maya talked about empathy and mutual dependency as aspects of sustainability. And that is really core to the open arts program. We really think about artists as being essential to a healthy community. And that means compensating them fairly. That means extending a hand. That means creating opportunities, as I said, really empowering creative communities. And so I think that that part of our work to bring those voices forward and to create these economic opportunities, because these are small businesses too, is part of our overall objective of sustainability. Circling back to the biennial, as you outlined Maya before, There are sustainability considerations that apply to the nitty gritty of an event structure, how it's rolled out, merchandise, all of this kind of thing. But of course, there's important ways to deal with the subject thematically and conceptually, which the Helsinki Biennial achieved to great success. Could you speak a bit about the conceptual aspects of the exhibition? The artists that the curators selected for the exhibition, some of them have worked very closely with the community. Getting the community involved, the locals involved, was very, very important, especially during the pandemic. The artists Margaret and Christine Wertheim, for example, they did a fantastic Helsinki coral reef project where we had 3,000 locals, school kids, young people, people we reached out from libraries and different city institutions. They crocheted a coral reef, which is a Part of the biannual, part of it is on display on the island and part of it is on display at the central library here in Helsinki. This is a work that really brings together many of the themes in the biannual, this interconnectedness, the way that people have worked together interlocking their work, even though they've worked separately during COVID from their home, crocheting. Now something beautiful has arisen from this, which is a joint project, a beautiful piece of art. And of course, the coral reefs, which are disappearing from the planet. 
those are a global reminder of what is happening in the sea. Pavel Altamer, he worked on a VR piece, which is a VR film accompanied by a documentary. And in the film, you can actually step on the island of Vallisari and you can experience the island together with seven prisoners who are escaping from the island. And uh, it's really great because you can even take a virtual sauna with them on the island and see the island at different times of the year. Really really experience nature in a VR way. And then you step out of the work, you're on the island and you're experiencing nature as it is in reality. And I think that this experiencing nature on the island is also an important part of the sustainability goals that we've had. Because even Finns who, you know, usually enjoy nature very much. We have the opportunity to walk into the woods, even in big cities. But after the pandemic, I think that just going out on an island, seeing the horizon, seeing the sea and taking in the wind and the 1000 different species of butterflies, for example, which are on the island, was something that people really very much appreciated. And in this sense, our collaboration with Facebook is so important because we're also reaching out to people who cannot be with us physically on the island, but can maybe have some kind of an experience of what it's like. When looking at the uh, digital material we have on our website and getting to know the artist through the interviews and seeing the works as images, it might not be the real thing, but it's it's a pretty good way of visiting the biannual in these difficult times. And of course, making, I hope, a decision to come the next time to see the second edition. Facebook Open Arts commissioned soul-based designer Studio Hilk to create AR motion graphics that had the aim of sparking critical conversations about climate change, which of course is a crisis that's folded into this pandemic crisis. Could you tell me about this work and how the collaboration with this artist came about? So we programmed a series of works and activities around Earth Week this past year. And one of the commissions was, as you said, by Studio Hick. And the approach that they took was to look back at novels from the 1960s to the 1980s that predicted ecological collapse. And they really embraced the idea of storytelling. And so they created, through their works, these mini stories called Now or Never. One of the quotes is taken from the J.G. Ballard sci-fi novel High Rise, and the other quote is by Albert Einstein. And they are set against two extremes of climate change, one flood, the other drought. And the AR filter has the effect of really creating this visceral reaction and emotional connection to the work cracking in the case of the drought piece and flooding, melting in the other piece. And so when we had the opportunity to contribute to the biennial program, we thought that these works really spoke to the theme, not only the theme of climate change and the urgency of it. These are very urgent messages, not sort of feel-good messages around climate change. We felt that conceptually they fit the program, but also really spoke again to the way that we had to sort of shift our approach and that we could bring 
this digital experience to the biennial and in a way also give new life to a work that had been commissioned for another purpose. From my understanding, is it on site on the island and also available online? Yes, the experience is available or accessible in multiple locations across the city, correct, Maya? Yes. note of digital versus physical experiences, as you were just outlining with that work. Tina, before you worked at Facebook, you worked at the Guggenheim, which is a major institution in New York. And I'm curious what you think about the acceleration of digital experiences in the art world. And as you've been sort of pioneering it with Facebook open arts, we're now, of course, flush in a new art world that's full of online viewing rooms, remote panels, conversations like this one, and streamed art performances. In your opinion, do we need a balance between the digital and the physical? And do you think one is likely to overtake the other? In terms of technology and what it can contribute or you know, what the balance of real and digital is, I think that one of the things we think about with the Open Arts Program is that technology and social media have the ability to catalyze conversations, bring people together, give people a voice, introduce new perspectives. And these are the same things that art does. And so I think that they can be really complementary to one another. And so we think about how can we reach more and new audiences through technology, for example. You know, I talked a little bit about during COVID, our program, which had been decidedly and intentionally analog-based in the days before COVID, pivoted overnight to digital. And one of the ways that we've done that really effectively, as I said, is by commissioning art for products. And so we did a series of messenger backgrounds with six visual artists who have analog practices. So there was a really interesting interplay of bringing analog artists into the digital space and giving a new platform for their practices that reached far more people than we could ever do by just simply commissioning a physical work. So I think that relationship can be really complementary. That being said, I don't think, not yet, digital will not replace the real life experience just yet. But the other thing we are really leaning in on now is thinking about the metaverse and what is the role of art in the metaverse. Right. And for any of our listeners who are coming across that term for the first time, could you just shortly say what it is? The metaverse is essentially the embodied internet. So in the future, it will be a place where instead of being on this Zoom call, we can meet each other in the metaverse and it will be almost real. We'll be in our headsets and we will be able to display art in our spaces that we've designed and we'll have a much more, still a mediated, but a much more realistic connection than what we have right now on the screen. A whole other topic that would be very interesting to get into at the intersection of art for sure. Maya, the Helsinki Biennial created many digital offerings. So I wanted to put the same question to you. What is your view on the balancing act that is needed between the digital and the physical? And where do you think the intersection of art and technology is headed to, and especially at the intersection of culture? Which one will become the dominant form? Your question reminds me of an artist friend I have. He likes to listen to podcasts 
you know, like guided tours of big museum collections while sitting in a car and looking at the landscape with no visuals from that guided tour to distract him. He likes to imagine through the audio that he hears what he's seeing. You know, I've always thought of that as a a good way of, of using digital and the real side by side. They're not contradicting each other. What is most important in encountering art and the experience that it creates for you. And I would not say that something is more valuable than something else that you experience as a different format. So I don't really see see a contradiction in terms. And it's so surprising what things become important and valuable in different contexts and situations like Tina spoke of this pandemic that we've been experiencing and how that has changed our perspective so radically concerning looking at art, experiencing art, whether it be through a guided tour that we're experiencing digitally or whether it's a VR experience or a podcast. I think that this has really enriched us in that sense that we have accessibility of art in a completely different way. We have video pieces in the exhibition on the island and experiencing them in that context is very different than experiencing them in another context. And I think that this mobility that experiencing art digitally gives us can be really a huge uh, added value to our experience. If I could add to that, when we think about the Helsinki Biennial, and as I said, from the very early days, I was really excited about the concept and the objectives. I think that it took on new and deeper meaning in the context of the pandemic. And likewise, art has been present throughout the pandemic. It's showed up since day one for us, whether it was people singing on their balconies in Italy during the very early days of COVID or sidewalk chalk drawings when we were limited to how far we could go and where we could see art. And I think the ways that artists have responded to this moment have been innovative, but also really generous. You know, I think about how Zoom concerts that aren't perfect and maybe the internet's a little janky, but those were a lifeline during the days that we were stuck indoors. And even today I was reading about a group of artists that has mobilized to use social media to raise awareness and support for victims of Hurricane Ida. And so I think this goes back to what we were saying about the relationship between art and technology, that both can be effective tools for connecting people and really building empathy and mobilizing people around problem solving and giving comfort. Enjoy. I agree with you completely, Tina, because the rejuvenation that we're also seeing now that that institutions are slowly opening up and, and the fact that we could take people on to the island and the works were open there during this summer. We've really seen these encounters and, and seen that they've meant a lot to people. And one um, aspect of the biannual pertaining to sustainability is that there are works in the biannual which will stay on in Helsinki as public artworks, the two Alicia Kvade sculptures, for example. And people have seen them on the island. They've had their first night on the island. They've been Instagrammed 
they've been uh, spread on Facebook. The images are familiar now to people who have seen them during the biannual. And now when they have their second life on the mainland in different parts of the city in neighborhoods as public art, I think that they will be much more appreciated. People have gained ownership of the pieces via the experience there, but also via all their images of these works. We've noticed that public art all over the city has been a huge source of comfort to people during the pandemic. I can imagine. Yeah. And so do you know how many people were coming to see the biennial that were from outside of the art world? How successful do you feel that it was in bringing in new audiences? I'm very pleased with the outcome. As of today, we've had approximately 120,000 people on the island. My guess is that maybe 90% have been people from all over Finland and, and locals, but we are getting more and more visitors from abroad. And because we've made the biennial happen during this uh, uh, time, we've also been able to uh, get a lot of, of international media, which has been wonderful to see. And I'm sure that this will bring new visitors from abroad for the next biennial. But we've also made it possible for people in Helsinki and in Finland who don't usually go to museums or galleries, encounter contemporary art, which I don't think they would have done in the same way and with the same intensity as they did. Coming to an island is is maybe not so daunting as, as entering the steps of a big museum. The people that we've seen on the island during the summer, lots of families, young people, and you hear great encounters while, you know, eavesdropping on people's people's reactions. A mother with her two teenage children was looking at Jaakko Niemela's installation, which is a key construction, six meters high with a red roof. It's like a raft, really, and uh, it spurts water that is pumped from the sea. And the kids were a bit, mm, what's this and what does this mean? And and I heard the mother say, well, don't you understand? This is the reason why we eat vegetables, because the six meters that the red raft marks is the height, the sea in Helsinki would rise if the icebergs in Greenland melt. This, I think, is the best way of making uh, people really become aware of the themes of the biennial by experiencing them, by taking the time to talk about them, by walking in nature and really digesting what they see. And it's a social experience, which is also really valuable after being cooped up inside. Yeah, when it comes to sustainability, I mean, art can really reach out and touch you in a way that data can't, even the most formidable data. So it is definitely really important. You were just speaking about how daunting the art events can be. And that's, of course, a huge consideration in cultural institutions and biennials, how to sort of bring down these barriers. And I was thinking about how the island is sort of an intimate experience. It reminded me of how digital experiences are also quite intimate. So I'm curious from your end, Tina, how does Facebook's outreach work? How do you target audiences and how do you reach beyond these barriers through the digital experience? What we try to do with our partnerships in particular is to reach beyond our typical audience. So we know that on our social media following tends to be people who are interested in art or interested in tech. So the expected audiences 
But particularly when we are working with partners, we look for ways to extend that both digitally and physically. So particularly during 2020, when museums were closed and you know we weren't able to go out and see art in the traditional way, we engaged in a number of community partnerships in San Francisco, Seattle, and Austin on public art projects, murals of messages of hope and resilience for these cities. In San Francisco, we worked on a project that brought murals to abandoned storefronts or boarded up storefronts during those early days of the pandemic. Likewise, in Austin and in Seattle, we commissioned large-scale public murals in locations around the city that were just a way of reaching people to say, there's hope, there is still art. And so it was through those community partnerships that we were able to extend those. Back in the fall, we engaged with five cities around the U.S., to raise visibility for voting and encourage people to register to vote. And it was a series of 10 murals in five cities across the U.S., but each of the murals included a QR code that took people to a voter information center where they could find information about how to register, where to vote. We're doing a very similar thing right now with vaccine information and vaccine education. And so really using art as a way of reaching out and as a way of delivering a message and in this case really life-saving information in the case of the vaccine education campaign so important closing question that i wanted to address to both of you we're in a time of as they always say such unprecedented change and it's brought on a lot of challenges but it's also really a great moment to reflect and We've spoken about how the digital can transform culture. And I wanted to just sort of ask you at that intersection what you think the art world needs to address and change in order to really safeguard its future as we continue to sort of face this pandemic and this growing ecological crisis. Going back to something Maya said, the agility of the biennial model, I think, is a really good point because as Maya said, you can sort of change this model and you can adapt it. It has a short lifespan, a short metabolism before the next one. And so you can take the learnings and you can apply them really quickly. And having been on the museum side, I know that that metabolism is slower and it's harder to make those changes. So I think that their new models and more nimble models are something that the global art community should really be embracing. And also, I think particularly for our program, we really think about the social utility of art. We've talked about it in a variety of forms today, whether it's climate change or whether it's reaching new audiences or whether it's providing comfort, building empathy. There is great social utility in art, and I think we should really embrace that actively and think about how we can help those messages be put out into the world, how we can amplify them, whether it's through these new models or whether it's through technology. And I think all of which contributes to a greater objective of just creating greater equity and making space for more voices. And this is something we are actively engaged in. You know, part of the reason we work with artists is that we want to bring 
their perspectives into our workspaces and into our experiences. We want to be able to see ourselves in our spaces, but also we want to see the rich tapestry of human experience that's represented by all of the people who use Facebook. And so that, I think, the more we can make space for that, whether it's in our products, spaces, experiences, I think that's what we can do to contribute to a more sustainable art world and more sustainable world over time. It's always really exciting to be a part of something new and planning the next biannual is another new phase for us. And Helsinki has pledged to be carbon neutral by 2035. So that sets us a really concrete goal. And what we've learned, because this has been a huge learning experience, we'll be trying to use to make this really happen in the future and by doing smaller and larger things. And for the first biannual, when we started to work on it, Local artists put big pressure on us and reminding us that we're going on an island with an incredible ecosystem with fantastic flora and fauna. And this made us really aware of this unique context. And somehow I trust artists and I trust art to keep us on the right path. I think all we can do is to promise to do more good and less harm. Well, I just wanted to say thanks so much to both of you. It's been so inspiring to learn about your platforms and your work together. Thank you so much for speaking with us today on The Art Angle. Thank you. Thank you for having us. If you enjoyed this conversation, please join me for our panel on September 22nd, which will be available on our Facebook page. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks again to Maya and Tina for their insights. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune into your podcasts. Also, please take a moment to rate and review us. It will help other listeners discover what we're doing. And if you have some feedback or maybe even a recommendation for a future episode, go ahead and email us at podcasts at artnet.com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S at artnet.com. The Art Angle is produced by Sonia Manalili, Tim Schneider, and Carolyn Goldstein. Thanks for listening and see you next week.